1: uh
2: what's up everybody welcome uh to chargers analytics with arjun we're back for the first time uh in quite a while obviously like i said yesterday you know conflicting schedules between arjun and i obviously not having uh full access to internet made it a little complicated but uh we're back for the home stretch of the season arjun thanks for uh taking the time to join me today how are you doing
3: doing good honestly I'm glad I missed the games I missed because we missed the Chiefs, the 49ers, like games where it was going to be tough for me to be uh, super like optimistic and and, like honestly have like great takeaways from the scouting report just because those teams are great teams. But happy to be back home stretch playoffs well within reach.
2: Yeah, you know, um, we can certainly talk about playoff odds and things like that at some point. I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, the Chargers will get a lot of clarity if they are able to win this week and the Jets are able to to lose like they should against the the Minnesota Vikings. So, um, you know, the playoff picture is becoming clearer by the week. And um, uh, I'm curious to see, you know, this week, like I said, very pivotal week for the the Chargers playoff chances have to absolutely get a win uh, against the Raiders. So, um, you know, for those who are unfamiliar, if this is your first time tuning in for uh, Chargers Olympics with Origin, we are going to take a uh, a different data driven perspective of the Chargers and Raiders matchup. We'll also have some other conversations as well, but um, just a really unique insight into what somebody like Arjun would do for the Chargers or for the Raiders, and say, "Hey, like this is what happened. This is what is happening on a week to week basis. This Is what happened has happened on the season." Um, and we'll have, uh, uh, like I said, a good conversation in that regard. Um, First and foremost, you know, we do have uh, some more injury injury clarity, um, unfortunately, as we always do uh, (laughs) on Thursday afternoon. So um, really the big ones for the Chargers, it looks like Corey Lindsley and Mike Williams uh, will not be playing this week, uh, you know, at minimum, potentially Trey Pickens has a chance according to Brandon Staley as of yesterday, uh, but he did not practice this week. so uh unfortunate timing to have some uh offensive line injuries uh feels very similar to like the 49ers game in that regard uh and then mike williams does seem like he's a week away officially like we we keep on talking about so uh arjun in terms of these injuries you know you have have kind of talked about the difference between the Chargers' offensive performance with and without Corey lindsley just how big of a loss is he if he is unable to play this weekend
3: yeah, it's it's definitely very big. Um, you know, our friend John, uh, goes by at MIBPJ2 on Twitter, did some calculations for us. It's not fully updated, but I, I would assume it's pretty close. So, um, in twenty twenty two, when Corey Lindsley's in the lineup and playing, the Chargers have had an EPA per play of zero point one four, which is pretty good. One, you know, makes them one of the better offenses in the league. Without him, it drops to negative zero point two one, which is awful. Which makes them the worst offense in the league. Um, you know, the, the other part is the Chargers. So, you know, we can look at a stat like, like quick pressure, which means um, when Justin Herbert has been pressured in under 2.5 seconds, that's considered a quick pressure. So in general, Justin Herbert's been pressured in 2.5 seconds or less on 28% of his dropbacks, which is first in the NFL. But when you break it down by Corey Lindsley on the field and off, the tr- he's, you know, the, tr- the Herbert has been pressured under 2.5 seconds in tw- at, on 24% of his dropbacks with Corey Lindsley as compared to 36% without Corey Lindsley. So you can kind of see that split. A 12% difference is significant. And, you know, I, the Raiders don't have a, a good pass rush at all. They, they're they in the bottom eight in terms of pressure rate. And I, I would love to see Corey Lindsley come back for the Dolphins because the Dolphins are going to throw every type of front, set, front seven look, mugged look, sim-pressured look that you can see in the NFL – but it definitely hurts the Chargers when he's off the field.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if you're looking at the Chargers' upcoming schedule, right, like you, you would feel awful about not having Corey Lindsley next week against the Dolphins yeah. or the week after that against the the Tennessee Titans, who do also do a lot of simulated pressures. They obviously have some great talent as well, you know, in Jeffrey Simmons, Danico Autry, players like that. So, um, if there were a game that he was going to miss, I think you would obviously pick this one against the Raiders. So. Um, you know, Will Clapp, I think, has been fine in a vacuum, but um, you know, it's just a, a huge difference, as Arjun just laid out. Without Corey Lindsley, uh, vote him to the Pro Bowl if you would. Uh, he just absolutely deserves it. So, um, in terms of Mike Williams, I'm curious to get your thoughts here because we, we've seen, I think, it's the numbers like 27 pass attempts with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the same field together. Um, when Mike Williams does come back, how do you think this? offensive target share kind of pans out now that we've seen kind of Josh Palmer emerge and uh, obviously Keenan back to his usual target share um, what do you think this looks like next week going forward with with Mike Williams back theoretically in the fold
3: yeah I mean him him being back against the Dolphins I think won't be as big of a difference as think, I think as people think just because the Dolphins play a ton of man and it's not like Mike Williams separates versus man um and you know it's not like Williams had that great of a game in 2020 either versus the Dolphins which are pretty much running the same cornerback duo of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones I just think I just think Williams opens up the field especially in the red zone where the Chargers have struggled for most of the season um it's definitely going to go be going it's going to definitely go back to being Keenan as wide receiver one Williams two Palmer three but I've been pleasantly surprised by Josh Palmer who's kind of Outperformed any expectations I had for him before the season and after coming back from his uh, second concussion of the season. Um, I thought he stepped up big time in, in multiple games now, and he's definitely a, a key part of the team for the stretch run. And if if he can really act as a true wide receiver three and give Herbert pretty much a full arsenal of weapons to throw to, I definitely think that, uh, I definitely feel more confident about the Chargers uh, for the final five or six games of the season.
2: Yeah, I mean obviously we wish we would have had uh more of a uh of more evidence with these with these three on the field at the same time this year. But um, you know, as long as Mike Williams can come back and line up, stay healthy and, and really like do what he does, right? Because I, I think, you know, just the the first jump ball possible, he just reaggravates it. Obviously, that's not what you want to see out of Mike Williams when he does come back. So um curious to see when that ultimately does end up happening. All right Arjun, uh let's get to this uh presentation you have prepared. We'll go, of course, like I mentioned, we'll go over some specifics to the Chargers, to the Raiders and you know dive into this matchup from a, a data-driven uh perspective. So, um you know, I'll, I'll jump in as as it pertains to certain conversations here, but again, this is going this is mostly Arjun's thing and you know we're just here to uh make sure we have a great time, you know, talking about some some specific data here. So, Uh, is your you want me to
3: start sharing the screen? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we can see the graph. Yep, it's up there. Okay, so I just wanted to first start off, kind of breaking down this game from a fundamental perspective and like where both teams stand. So you know, I've been pretty impressed with the Raiders' offense for most of the season. Um, they haven't had Renfro, they haven't had Waller yet. They they're still performing at I think at at least a top twelve level. Um, when you adjust teams, you know, team efficiency via EPA by opponent, you can see that the Chargers and Raiders kind of fall on the same diagonal, meaning they're in the same, you can say, tier of teams. So right now, I would definitely put the Chargers and Raiders in possible contender or possible playoff contenders uh, in that tier, even though the Raiders aren't going to make the playoffs. Um, I think the Chargers defense is a little bit better than the Raiders defense and the Raiders offense is has shown to be just a little bit better than the Chargers offense for for different reasons, because I think Josh Jacobs has been tremendous this year. But from a fundamental perspective of this game, um, I think it's honestly two evenly matched teams. And I was checking the the Vegas lines earlier today, and at a bunch of, you know, books, the Raiders are now favored by one point, which kind of tells mm-hmm. you what you need to know about, you know, how the sharp people see this, you know, matchup playing out that the Raiders and the Chargers are pretty much equals in this game.
2: Yeah, I definitely don't think this is going to be an easy game by by any means. I've seen a lot of people saying that, you know, oh, the Raiders are four and seven. Like, this is, this is a bad team. And not to say that they're a good team or anything, but um, this is not a game that the Chargers should be taking lightly. And like you mentioned, you know, the, this offense that Josh McDaniels has put together is still performing at a pretty high level, despite not having Waller, despite not having Hunter Renfro for most of the season. So, um, you know, they, it really was those like three losses where they were up by 17. That's really what has uh, done them in so far this year.
3: Yeah, I I totally agree. And their one score luck has kind of rebounded a little bit in recent weeks. So I'm hoping that doesn't, you know, rebound this (laughs) week because I mean, we already know this game is going to be either won by like three or three, four, seven or two points, something like that. So. Yeah, it's going to come down to the wire for sure. But yeah, to to kind of get into the game plan as i have put together every week, um, you know, we'll start with the pass rush for the Raiders. Obviously, we know Max Crosby is one of the best in the league. But after that, you know, you see kind of a significant drop off to Chandler Jones. And in terms of how uh, Patrick Graham likes to structure his defense, he doesn't you know, really send more than four pass rushers at a given time. The Raiders are below average in terms of their average number of pass rushers sent. And they do blitz slightly above average, but it's nothing like too crazy where it's like out of the, out of the norm. So, um, you, sh- you should have expect a pretty like straightforward game plan. And if Corey Lindsley and Trey Pipkins are out, I would expect the Raiders to be kind of conservative and ex- like, I think they would believe that they can win with four instead of like five or six
2: as they should with uh max crosby out there for sure
3: yeah um you know moving on just the kind of distribution of how the raiders uh align their men in the box so they love running six-man boxes which is kind of a staple of the brandon staley scheme they do go a little bit heavier at times which is why i think they've been a little bit better against the run than i expected even with their kind of like below average interior defensive line, they like to stack the box a little bit. Part of that is also them kind of playing from behind sometimes, even though they've blown a couple of leads this game. So it's kind of like a standard distribution of defenders in the box. Um, And then kind of going to the offense. So you can see the Raiders uh, run 11 personnel about 67.25% of the time. But the key thing is they run uh, 21 personnel, at one of the highest rates in the NFL, they're definitely like top five, top six. And they love to use Jakob Johnson in that fullback role, which mm-hmm. has kind of scared me in recent weeks, because it, especially against the Seahawks, they were coming out in that 21 personnel look a lot. Uh, and especially to ice the game in overtime, that's how Jacobs got the game winning run. And I'm, um, you know, if Jakob Johnson is hitting the second level to match up with Kenneth Murray, I mean, I kind of already picture how that's going to play out.
2: Yeah, so you'll see the Raiders do a lot of this, I'm sure, on Sunday. But they love to do ISO lead, just you know, the classic Madden play that everybody knows. But yeah. um, they're going to target Kenneth Murray at, at a very high level. We know that Josh McDaniels loves to target weaknesses of defenses. So uh, expect to see a lot of Jakob Johnson blocking Kenneth Murray on Sunday afternoon.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, it's tough to like call for benching this late in the year. And I, I mean, I obviously staley's gonna do what he does i I would love to see troy reader kind of be in this game more i would say a little more physical than murray and even even if murray has the kind of athleticism and the strength i think just like the way he fits the run sometimes it's kind of just crashing into blockers with no uh intent to make a tackle while reader i think in limited snaps has kind of shown that you know he is a little bit more physical and when he came in um in the game versus the Chiefs I think he was he made you know a couple big stops through the air yeah. and on the ground
2: yeah I thought Reader was fantastic in that game obviously at the pass breakup as well but um I would love to see them just kind of mix up the looks a little bit more and this is something yeah. that Tyler talked about as well just uh bring more bodies into this unit and, and maybe this is a, a good opportunity to allow Calvin to play some linebacker a little bit more often but um, you know, this is a game where I think the Chargers have to be a little bit more multiple up front than they're used to being against this kind of rushing attack.
3: Yeah, um, I agree. Okay, Um, going into like how the Raiders have performed out of each personnel package. So uh, I, I, it's been a couple of oops, too much. It's been a couple of weeks, but again, pass rate over expected basically is saying given the game situation, given the point differential, the down, and the distance. Um, what is the expect like? what would we expect the rate at risk at which the Raiders to pass and how much do they actually pass? So you can see out of 12 personnel, they've passed about 25% more than expected, but out of 11 personnel, they kind of like do what is expected. So they mix up run and pass very well. And again, like they've run 11 personnel about 67% of the time, as I just outlined. Um, but their best performing personnel has been 12 personnel. Um, they've done pretty well out of 21 personnel. But the thing is, like, we know they're going to run the ball. They pass the ball 15% less than expectation when they come out in 21 personnel. So, like, there are telling signs in this game for the Chargers to, like, stack the box, which is not a staple of the Brandon CLA defense, but knowing when the Raiders are going to run the ball. And if they don't run the ball, it's most likely a play action, you know, deep shot. So, I I hope that kind of Chargers are prepared for that and, like, kind of had techniques coached for the corners to kind of, you know, adjust for play action, but also be able to fit the run when the Raiders come out in this personnel.
2: Yeah, you know, minus fifteen percent over expected—that's a huge number. So, yeah. uh, you know, this is this is great stuff. Obviously, you know that the, the casual fan and us we don't understand the, these kind of rates. So, um, you know, if you see Jakob Johnson out there, like the, the Raiders are clearly telling everybody, "Hey, we're going to run the football right now."
3: Yeah, and I mean, I, I think I, uh, if you want to have this number, you can DM me or something on Twitter. I'm pretty sure if if it's not a run, it's most likely a play action. Like the percentage of passes out of 21 21 personnel that are play action passes is probably above 50. But um, I'm not going to get too specific into that because I just I don't have those numbers in front of me. Um, Looking at like the Raiders personnel, um, it's kind of been all over the place, especially given that Renfro and Waller have been out. So like they haven't run a ton of 12 personnel this year because Moreau and Waller haven't played that much together. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, Jakob Johnson is the 12 personnel fullback, and then Jacobs has obviously kind of carried the load of this year. I think the Raiders are kind of making the full use of his rookie contract, and then I don't really know what they're going to do with him next year, but they're feeding him a lot, and he's been playing a ton of snaps. Um, Amir Abdullah is the kind of, like, RB2, and then I guess Brandon Bolden will come in here and there. Adams and Hollins are wide receiver one and two um it's it's basically a pretty straightforward uh offensive unit we know who's going to be playing and we know you know the, the key guys to stop are josh jacobs and Devontae adams yeah absolutely not a whole lot of variance in the lineups there agreed um going into uh the offensive formation again i formation they pass the ball 22% less than expected. So when you see (laughs) Jakob Johnson and they're in I-formation, it's most likely a run. It's not always a run, but it's most likely a run. Um, And weirdly enough, that is their best performing uh, formation package. So uh, when they're in I-formation, they've run 176 plays and they average 0.112 EPA per play. Um, Out of shotgun, which is their most used offensive formation, they pass the ball 6% more than expected. Average about a zero point zero one EPA per play, which isn't that great. So they've had a, they've had their most success running plays from under center, wh- whether it is a run or a pass. But when they do line up under center, wh- whether it is single back or I formation, they pass the ball at least twelve percent less than expected.
2: Man, that's uh, that's just Why such a you? big difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, that's uh, that's huge. Obviously, you know the Chargers. I would assume have some kind of Similar information here, and it's just it, it's such an important advantage here that you know these personnel tips can give teams and defenses, and and particularly you know that's struggling to stop what these personnel packages are designed around. So, uh you know, I would expect Brandon Staley to be pretty keyed in on uh, matching heavy packages with Jakob Johnson on the field on Sunday afternoon.
3: Hundred percent, and I'd be very surprised if the Chargers are not. Kind of like looking at these like expectations, or just the raw run pass splits out of formations. That would be a real shame if the analytics team over there isn't looking. At yeah,
2: them. I mean, and and Brendan Staley has talked about. I I, I want to say it was like the week before the season when people were still obviously associating him with so heavily with analytics, and and you know he was talking. I think it was might have been with Daniel Popper that he was saying like, if Asante Samuel Jr. knows that out of this personnel package they're going to pass this this kind of route on this percentage of plays like that absolutely matters. Yeah. And obviously this is a, a different kind of, you know, more based out around the formation, but um, you know, we know that they have this kind of information and, and use it pretty heavily, at least from what we've
3: heard from Brandon Staley directly. Yeah. and no, I'm glad. I'm glad they're doing that. Um, moving on to that's too much. The Raiders and like their passing game, so this is how they've performed throwing the ball to each part of the field. So, you know, Derek Carr does a pretty good job throwing it to all parts of the field. He does, he does throw it right versus left at about an equal amount and over the middle. And he's, I mean, he's really efficient throwing the ball over the middle of the field, as most quarterbacks are. Um, in the intermediate part of the field, he's averaging uh, 0.601 EPA per play, throwing over the middle and throwing intermediate to the left, 0.672. I'm assuming most of this is to Devontae Adams. Um, yeah. But he do- he has struggled a lot throwing deep, where he's averaging a negative 0.798 EPA per play. Um, I- I'm assuming a lot of that is just throwing an interception or something. But he struggled. Th- so weirdly, I don't know if it's weird, but he struggled throwing the ball left, but he does it at pretty much an equal amount of throwing the ball right. So some interesting, I think, splits here um, for Derek Carr. But he's it's not like he's a one dimensional quarterback like Russell Wilson or something where he only targets one part of the, one part of the field for the entirety of the game.
2: Yeah, pretty even splits and especially in the intermediate parts. I think that's really where Derek Carr really wants to live is that range, you know, 10 to 15 yards. Yeah. And to me, that that indicates a strong play action approach from the Raiders as well.
3: Yeah. I, and that's why I've been more impressed with Josh McDaniels, the play caller. Uh, this season just because I think he's leaning into the play action and just the strength of that offense more and more. Um, just going into you know the Raiders receiver receiving options, we kind of know like we kind of know this already, but Devontae and Matt Collins have been tremendous, or at least Devontae's been tremendous, and that's what I was expecting. Matt Collins has pretty much um, added 40 points to the Raiders on targets alone. He actually has not higher EPA per target, so. When Derek Hart targets him, he av- he adds more points on average than Devontae Adams. I think part of that is also because he has half the number of targets and he's not facing the number one cornerback. But it is interesting to see like Matt Collins be like this efficient when that's not something that most of us would, I think, expect heading into this year.
2: Yeah, I remember when like the perception of when the Raiders signed him and wasn't like anybody was really expecting him to even be like a wide receiver three. I think people were still kind of expecting. Um, you know some of their younger guys of course Brian Edwards uh, you know Chargers fans and Tyron Johnson you know, everybody was kind of expecting those guys to be yeah. wide receiver three wide receiver two obviously Hunter Renfro being hurt doesn't help much but uh, Matt Collins has definitely exceeded expectations there in Las
3: Vegas I yeah I, uh, I agree and I'm I think do you so I remember in week one um, we were I think I was saying like you want to put uh, Asante on, or do you think like in this case, the Chargers will run back the game plan where it's mostly Asante guarding Devonte Adams, where he kind of got torched? He did have the interception, but you know, for the most part, he didn't have that great of a game. Or do you think they maybe stuck Michael Davis on him like they did with him against D Hop last weekend? I,
2: I think you have to give him some different looks, and I think that's something that they did a lot. They've done a, lot, a pretty good job with, even. Um, you know, uh, it, I didn't agree with how much they use the Sunday Jr. against uh, Travis Kelsey, but you know yeah. they're they're not just going to shadow at this point with this group. So, you know, I, I think we'll see a bunch of of everybody on Devontae Adams this week, including you know some reps with Derwin James. I think that's yeah, you know they they've shown a, a will a greater willingness this year to to allow Derwin opportunities against number one receivers. I mean, obviously, he had the interception against DeAndre Hopkins last week, but. I would expect it to be more varied than than the first time around, and obviously that that should be the case. I mean, we were talking on our show yesterday, and it's like the expectation of Asante playing Devontae in that Week One matchup. It's like you know you expect Asante to take some lumps, yeah, um, and he battled. He had some really good moments, but it's like you, you probably shouldn't do that same thing again, yeah.
3: No, I agree, and I'm pretty sure Derwin was matched up on like a third and four, third and three, or at some point in week one against Devontae and yeah. held his own pretty well.
2: On the fi- I think on the final drive, they gave him like three or four reps, and uh, I would love to see them do that early in the game as well and create create some more advantages.
3: I agree. Okay, moving to the Raiders' run game, which I think this is uh, pretty telling. So, the Raiders are a very, very good run offense, running to the right side of their offensive line. So they average a positive EPA per rush huh. on in every run gap running to the right side of the offensive line. So this is Andre James, uh I was it Dylan Parham? I think it's Dylan Parham. Dylan Parham, yeah, at right guard and then tackle Illumin. is it's
2: it's been Illuminore recently, yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah. So again, that's you know, Stephen got it for me. So um it's been interesting. I think part of this might be skewed by the huge 80-yard run against uh, the Seahawks, which I believe was running to the right. But, I mean, even then, one rush out of, you know, 60 or 70 rushes is is not going to skew the data that much, and it's only applying to one, one gap. So, you know, Raiders have been tremendously eff- effective running the ball right. Haven't been that great running it left, especially outside the tackle, which is weird because that's where Colton Miller is. Running outside yeah. the left end has been their worst run gap of the three but you know running right has been pretty good for them and then just to compare to the Chargers defense uh, when teams run right against the Chargers it's worked very very well <laughs> just mm, that not that is great ugly. That's yeah. ugly. and part of that is also just it's it's mostly the run against run away from Khalil Mack game plan right so it's kind of like picking the lesser of two evils like i think like in this case if you're the Chargers you pro- if you see that the Raiders are this good like this uh this good running the ball right you might honestly want to line up Khalil Mack on the right side of against like the right tackle who is the weaker link anyway and then try to force them to run it to Colton Miller's side as more of a athletic pass protector right and and back and force them to kind of run to their weakness instead of run to their strength so this is definitely a little bit of a concern for me given that the Raiders strength is our weakness but I think it's definitely counterable if you know, they have the right game plan for it.
2: Yeah. That's an easy tendency to break. And they, they flip Khalil a decent amount, but um, yeah, I think this week you, and, and especially in heavy packages, I'm putting Khalil Mack on the right side. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Um, and staying on the theme of the run game. So um, this was something I posted earlier today, um, mm-hmm. looking at the idea of perfectly blocked run. So for the, our listeners who don't know perfectly blocked run is when every offense alignment on the play receives a grade of zero, which is neutral that they did their job, or better, which is a positive grade. If and that's considered a perfectly blocked run. If any offense alignment on a play receives a negative grade, it's considered a negatively blocked run. So. The Chargers and Raiders are pretty similar where their offensive lines do not perfectly block run, do not perfectly block runs above the league average. But both defenses, weirdly enough, especially for the Chargers' sake, have been pretty good at preventing perfectly blocked runs. But for the Chargers' case, their run defense sucks because they can't tackle in the second level. So <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it also goes to show, like, Josh Jacobs isn't getting a ton of help from his offensive line. E- even though this graph kind of shows they've been very good, very efficient running the ball right, i would argue most of that's actually jacob's doing um instead of the offensive line's doing and if you use like rushing yards over expected which is a you know kind of putting an expectation on how many rushing yards we'd expect a rush runner to get versus how many they actually get jacob shows up very highly regard uh, regardless of whatever model you like to use so he's done a lot of the brunt work i would say instead of that um offensive line but you can kind of see that the Raiders' offensive line is is not going to be that good, and the Chargers' defensive line should have a little bit of success in the run game. It all comes down to whether or not they want to make a tackle against an injured running back that just got the ball 33 times a game.
2: Yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, Josh Jacobs right now is second in the league in total yards after contact, but after Derrick Henry with 827, he's averaging 3.83 uh, yards after contact per attempt uh, also second only trailing Tony Pollard uh, so very different styles there but um, you know Josh Jacobs having an incredible season and like you mentioned you're not getting a ton of help so you know if you're able to really rally and tackle around Josh Jacobs I think you could see the Chargers have a good amount of success this week on the ground but mm-hmm. that's the that's the key right that they have not not done a good enough job and that's something Brandon he talked about on Monday when they're not, when he was talking about them not having enough two on one advantages in the run game. So again, yeah. you know, if you're able to really, you know, get after it in a tackling perspective, then you should be able to do a, have a pretty good job, a pretty good day against the uh, Raiders offense. But uh, that's much easier said than done against Josh Jacobs.
3: Yeah. Um, the last kind of thing I wanted to touch on. Um, so we did talk earlier in the episode about play action and, You know, the Chargers have actually been pretty good versus play action this year. They're actually pretty much a top 10 defense versus play action, well below the league average. They do allow a positive EPA per play, but so does, uh, you know, over 70% of the league. So even if the Raiders do have some success on the ground, I think that I still believe in the Chargers' ability to kind of stop play action. Um, I do get worried about Kenneth Murray kind of getting stuck in blocks, kind of overbiting on play action at times, which we've seen multiple times this year. But um, overall, like, I, I'm, I don't think the Raiders' play-action game will hurt the Chargers too much. And I honestly think that cornerbacks and safeties have kind of done a good job of, of um, not biting too hard in play-action and kind of playing their role perfectly. Um, on the flip side, you know, the Raiders are also very, very good versus play-action. They're actually the sixth-best defense, and one of the few defenses to um, force offenses to have a negative EPA per drop-back versus play-action. So I've been on the, on the train that the Chargers should run – way more play action even if the run game hasn't been working this year but um i'm curious like do you have any thoughts to why the raiders are this good versus play action but just suck overall as a a pass (laughs) defense
2: i i would have to watch more of their games but i don't that's really curious to me because it's not like they have uh, a great secondary and their pass rush has been like you mentioned uh not super successful so Uh, maybe they've been getting some interceptions that that would be my only thing is that maybe Trayvon Merrick has has gotten a few interceptions in play against play action but uh when you posted that earlier I was definitely surprised that the Raiders ranked that highly as well
3: yeah because you look at the teams around them it's like the Saints the commanders the Bills the Jets like very some very good defenses and then you have you have the (laughs) Raiders so that also means that they're terrible versus straight dropbacks so that's probably something Mm. or like non-play action dropbacks so that's probably something the chargers can lean into this game and kind of like exploit. So that was most of the stuff I had on the Raiders. Um, You know, obviously, you know, we can look here just in in general, like people will think Josh Jacobs has had a good year. He's had a great year, but even when the Raiders run the ball, they're actually, they've actually lost points uh, when they've run the ball with him, even if it's super, super small. So it kind of just goes to show, even if you have a great running back like Josh Jacobs, like, so running the ball is still way less efficient than passing but you obviously need to run the ball at times and honestly like i think in the cardinals game the chargers had some good runs mixed in at key moments um i think you can agree with me there especially since you're more of a proponent of running the ball than i am
2: i am i am absolutely more of a proponent of running the football but um no i mean the chargers had some good moments like you mentioned but it was like nine design rushes against the cardinals which uh frankly is just it's just not enough with this kind of offensive line. That, yeah. That's my biggest thing with running the football is it makes things easier for your offensive line as well as your quarterback. And this week in particular against the Raiders, where you're talking about not having Corey Lindsay, not having Trey Pipkins, the Chargers have to do a much better job of you know lining up and making a difference in the run game. Because if you're going to sit back there and ask Foster Serrell to drop back and, and pass protect yeah. 65 times against Max Crosby, it's, it's just not going to go well
3: yeah no i i agree and i think they uh you know mixed in the runs well towards the end of the game just to quickly kind of just touch on some key points for the chargers offense so in general the offense has really only performed well out of 11 personnel and 12 personnel um, when they've run 21 personnel they average a negative 0.244 epa per play which is really bad uh they don't really run a ton of 22 or 13 per uh personnel packages so not really going to touch more on a ton of that. And when they do go heavy, like 22 or 13, they, they pass the ball way less than expected. But in any other formation that they've run a significant amount of plays um, out of 21, 11, and 12, they've passed the ball at least 6% more than expected, which given you know that you have Justin Herbert, I think that's that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean,
2: Joe Lombardi, is, they've, they've uh,
3: generally ranked pretty high in pass rate over expected with Joe Lombardi over the last two years. Yeah. Which, which is, again, it's fine. Um, looking just quickly at uh, offensive formation. Um, so Chargers have done very well out of empty, averaging about a 0.19 EPA per play. Out of pistol, which they don't run a ton of, they've averaged 0.15 EPA per play. But they haven't done very well out of shotgun, which is weird. Um, it, it could just be this season, because I'm pretty sure they, were, they ranked pretty well last year. And then out of I formation, which i think i i think checks out bar, per my eye test at least they haven't yeah, been good at all it's their worst <laughs> uh, offensive formation just some first of all i think they run the ball out of eye formation a, a decent amount which you can see they they run the ball at about 2% more, more than expected but also just in general like out of eye formation if you're running play action like you want to get have receivers get to their spots quick since the defense will probably bite on play action or something but just because of of the lack of speed the chargers have on offense um it's tough to really like make throws out of I formation and and herbert's most likely having his back turn expecting the receivers to break on their routes while you know because of the speed of the chargers they're kind of still running the routes. so have they haven't had a ton of success um out of I formation
2: yeah i remember early in the season obviously xander horvath had those two touchdowns in like the first two games and uh, you know the EPA per play here, the I formation was much higher, and obviously, you know they haven't yeah. scored any touchdowns out of it, so it's been uh, you know, yeah. kind of tank their uh, performance in that formation recently.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, so that that's pretty much it. I, I think the lot, the only other thing we can look at is maybe like the Chargers' rushing efficiency. So they've sure. done the they've done very well running the ball between Corey Lindsley or Will Clapp and Zion Johnson. That's their highest performing. Uh, run gap in terms of EPA per play, but they've kind of struggled everywhere else. The only other gap they've done well is between Lindsley and Filer. So as you can see, the inside zone has been hurt, inside zone or, or counters have been working very well, but um, anything outside the tackles have has kind of failed miserably. And I, that's kind of just to be expected given that Rashawn Slater hasn't been playing for this year. Yeah,
2: see, I, I went on a little bit of a rant yesterday about the whole Zion Johnson conversation and see this this graph right here is is visual representation that I am not just blowing smoke out
3: of my ass. Yeah. I mean, Zion Johnson has been awesome in the run game for the Chargers yeah. this year. And again, for the listeners like guard the, the college to pro transition for guards is one of the toughest of any position in the NFL. Like it's just that it's just very tough to go from, you know, dominating against weaker interior defense alignment at the college level to going against like Linval Joseph yeah. on the interior, right? It's, it's just a very tough transition and the expectations for year one should not be as high as like we'd, we'd expect for Zion just because, just because Slater was dynamite from year one. So we got to have a little bit of patience, especially in the past game. You know, Chris Jones is going to take everyone's lunch money at some point in the season. Um, and, you know, while Zion has had some bad moments, I think he's also you know put up some good tape and, you know, the numbers kind of support that here.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like just in perspective, you know, Zion played in the ACC. It's not like he played in the SEC. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the really the only team with comparable like interior defensive talent is going to be like Clemson. But, you know, he's going to go up against Pittsburgh and he's going to go up against even Notre Dame and, and have – you know a clear matchup advantage, and you know when he comes into the NFL, we're talking about Chris Jones and J.J. Watt and back-to-back weeks, and next week he'll go up against Christian Wilkins and that crowd, and then Jeffrey Simmons in that crowd. So, uh, you know, we gotta we gotta gotta be a little bit uh, patient with Zion Johnson, but he's doing he's doing a great job overall. All
3: right, so I am curious was, though. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. No, that's that's uh, all. Just I really, had, so. okay. Sorry about that. But I am curious before we just to kind of wrap up here. uh, What are you, what are you doing with uh, Jamari Sawyer next year? I know that we're, we're kind of jumping the gun here, but uh, you know, I've seen you kind of tweet about it a little bit. What's your stance on what to do with Jamari. And then of course, you know, uh, Trey Pipkins a little bit after that.
3: Yeah, I think, this is a tough question. I think like, I I really want to like, just look at the Chargers cap situation and, like i i just want to evaluate the, like the free agents that the chargers have that could potentially be brought back because i would love for trey pipkins to stay on and we have solier as a guard and you kind of just cut filer and get some cap space back but it's like it's tough to like we can expect filer to bounce back next year like i think like he's had a bad year this year but he's also had great years before this it's just a tough situation cuz You have six, I think, quality offensive linemen now with Slater in the fold if he's healthy. And I don't mind having that depth with Sawyer if he doesn't even start. Um, You could re-sign Pipkins to a three- or four-mil one-year deal or something and just have Sawyer as the swing tackle, which I think everyone would be happy with. He can play swing or the interior offensive line. But I think, if anything, that I would let Pipkins walk and you slide Sawyer to right tackle and go from there, um, but you would also, I think, save more cap, cutting Filer and putting Sawyer at guard. But I think you like the surplus value you would get on Sawyer if he started a tackle as a sixth, as a fifth round pick, would be enormous. Like the the Chargers yeah. would get a ton of value from that draft. It would be Telesco's most or highest surplus value of any draft pick in his career outside of Justin Herbert, which quarterbacks are always going to generate surplus value, especially if they're as elite as Herbert. So I would lean putting Sawyer at tackle, letting Pipkins walk, but it's a very tough decision, and I I want—I just—I want to see how Pipkins fares for the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it sucks that Pipkins has been so, you know, up and down with injury the last few weeks because I really thought that he was solidifying that spot. So, um, you know, uh, we got a super chat from Constellation asking about Chargers making the playoffs and their chances um we'll go more in depth on that uh on saturday i wanted to mention that for sure um very much appreciate the super chat but um you know we're a little bit short on time tonight so we'll 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 dive into the chargers playoff chances what those look like and you know we can go over like 538s model and things like that on saturday when we have
3: our q a so
2: uh arjun appreciate the uh the time tonight man any final thoughts before we head out for the evening
3: yeah, I got to give the good people the the bets, the money, the money makers, which had been doing pretty well before yes. we took a hiatus. So um, my favorite play for tonight for the Bills-Patriots game starts in about 35 minutes. Josh Allen, longest rush over 15 and a half yards. Patriots love to play a lot of man coverage. DBs won't have their eyes on Allen, and he will be able to take off more often than, than not. I also like his over rushing yards, but I love the longest rush because it only takes one play. And I think the Patriots could key in on Allen in the designed rushing game. He's also gone over this five straight times against the Patriots (laughs) in the past two years. So it's always good when like those data points back, uh, back the bet up Um, in terms of the Sunday bets, love the chiefs minus one and a half. If Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid lose three straight versus the Bengals, I will be very disappointed in them too, but I love them in that spot uh, in Cincinnati and Jaguars minus one. That's, that's my favorite play of the whole entire weekend. Um, if you go back and look at the Lions responding after an emotional loss last year under Dan Campbell, it's they've gotten blown out by like 20 in almost every game. So uh, <laughs> losing on a heartbreaker against the Bills and Jaguars coming off a hard-fought game, I think I do like the Jaguars, who are also the fundamentally better team um, in that matchup. So three bets, Josh Allen longest rush over 15 and a half. I would take 16 and a half also chiefs minus one and a half jaguars money line uh chargers nation let's ride
2: (laughs) let's go i love it i uh you know i was kind of bummed not gonna lie that the uh the um betting proposition in california did not pass i was (laughs) thinking about you know dabbling in that a little bit more but you know now it's just uh not a thing so uh chargers fans make sure of course to follow arjun you can get a lot of this uh information on his twitter page as well make sure and check out his work on pff you're doing are you still doing the um the focus podcast on sunday nights
3: yeah forecast so we'll forecast, be doing that excuse me every sunday night after sunday night football yeah make sure and check that out uh as
2: well so uh thanks everybody for tuning in tonight that's gonna do it like i mentioned we'll see you on saturday for our normal saturday show and as always bolt up